We were not created to live stagnant lives, to be stuck, bound, or broken. We were created with a purpose, a calling, a mandate, a mission. Even in these uncertain times, that calling remains the same. To go into the world, to make disciples, to share the love of Jesus. This is the work of Easter. The greatness of God, the power of the resurrection in action. What Jesus did has changed us made us a new creation, given us an unimaginable hope. Grace has taken root. Mercy has flooded our souls. And the promise of eternity has redefined our everything. So why keep all that to ourselves? It's time to put Easter in motion, to make a difference, to share Jesus with the world around us. If your life has been changed, it's time to get to work. to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. Today for Easter, we're looking at the Easter sermon that was so bad, history tried to erase it. And to clarify, I'm not saying that my Easter sermon will be so bad that history will try to erase it, although that's possible also. I'm intending something a little different. Let me explain. Sometimes people will hate a story's ending so much that they just won't stand for it. This was true of James Cameron's epic movie, Titanic. At the time, it was the most expensive film ever made, but it grossed more than $2 billion in ticket sales and won 11 Oscars. While set on a famous ship that everyone knows will sink, it tells the story of a young debutante named Rose and a poor artist named Jack. Although separated by class and Rose's engagement to a wealthy suitor, the two fall in love and the audience is absorbed in their romance. As the Titanic begins to sink, they're thrown into the icy waters. Jack helps Rose up onto a wooden panel and we hear the cries of passengers in panic. As a lifeboat arrives to rescue them, Rose is saved, but Jack has died of hypothermia. It's devastating. While we know things don't end well for the Titanic, we're hoping that the young couple's happily ever after will help offset the despair. As popular as the movie was, the ending was just too much for many people. I know people who shake their heads in disgust whenever it comes up. That ending. <laughs> there was an online petition that was started demanding a remake. And yet the writer and director, James Cameron, is unrepentant. Jack had to die. I believe something similar happened with one of the oldest Easter sermons. 
Almost all Bible scholars today are convinced that the last 12 verses of Mark's gospel were added by a scribe determined to fix what seemed like a strange ending. The best and the earliest Greek manuscripts don't contain those verses. They don't fit Mark's writing style or the structure of his gospel. The overwhelming evidence is that they were added. So in your Bible, Mark chapter 16, verses 9 to 20, probably appear in brackets to warn you that these verses are almost certainly not original. And yet because they're there, you probably read them. And when you do that, you miss what is likely the actual ending of Mark's gospel in verses 1 to 8. It's like you've only ever watched a version of the Titanic where Jack gets rescued by the lifeboat after all. Today, I want you to hear the Easter sermon that concludes Mark's gospel and see the incredible message in this strange ending that history almost erased. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, click on the link for today's passage in the description below. I'll read verses 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter what he is going, uh, that, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of God. Now this scene opens on a Saturday evening. The Sabbath has just ended at around 6 p.m., and three women head to the market to buy spices to anoint Jesus' body. John tells us that Jesus' body had already been anointed with 75 pounds of spices, but the women want to express their honor to Jesus' memory. Mark lists their names and details about them as if to say, if you have any doubt about what I'm saying, go ask them. This is an eyewitness account told while the people in the story were still alive to confirm or deny what Mark had written. With the supplies purchased on Saturday evening, verse 2 tells us that the women head to the tomb early the next morning. We're impressed by their earnestness, but they all seem, also seem to be a little frantic. In verse 3, it dawns on them that they don't actually have a plan to get into the tomb. They ask, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? It's like when you rush to the supermarket for groceries and really realize you forgot your wallet. In this case, moving the stone was a major problem. The entrance to a first century tomb would be covered by a huge stone that was rolled into place. Once set, it would take some serious muscle to move. As we read these verses, two things are happening. On one level, we're drawn into the story. We're picturing the events of Easter from the perspective of these women. 
and we're rooting for them because they seem so devoted. But at another, another level, we're shaking our heads and shouting, why? We know that Jesus is risen from the dead. And so we want to tell them. There's no sense buying spices. There's no corpse to anoint. When they're fretting over the stone, we know that the stone has been rolled away. And what they're looking for isn't in the tomb anyway. We find ourselves telling them to stop the way that you call out to characters in a horror movie when they walk backwards into a dark room and the killer's hiding in the closet. But of course, the women can't hear us. And so our words fall on the page. What actually seems strange in this scene is that the women assume that they're going to be the only ones at the tomb at the dawn of the third day. That's strange because Jesus has predicted his resurrection three times in Mark's gospel already. For instance, in Mark 8, 31, Jesus said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He repeated the same warning in Mark 9.31 and Mark 10.34. You'd assume that the people who heard these promises would be waiting at the tomb with streamers and confetti to welcome their Savior. Not with spices to anoint a dead body. And it's then that you realize the first point of Mark's Easter sermon. Jesus' followers didn't believe the promises of Jesus' resurrection. He told them that he would rise again on the third day, and they didn't listen. They didn't trust his words. They didn't believe the promises of his resurrection. And we're starting to get a sense of why people wanted to fix Mark's message. But there's more. In verse 4, the women look up and see that the stone had been rolled away. When Mark pictures the women looking up, it feels dramatic. The scene is in slow motion as they raise their eyes and take it all in. Mark ends the verse by describing the stone that had been rolled away. He says, it was very large. And we read this and think, well, this will convince them. A stone this huge doesn't just roll away. The reality of the resurrection must be dawning on them. But there's no indication that it is. The women are just startled by all that they see. So they go inside, and Mark describes the scene from their perspective, and listen to what it says in verse 5. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Now, our tendency is to read more than what's there. It's like when you read your children a story that you've read to them a hundred times. You could skip over the page or and, and still catch everything that, that, that took place because you have it in your mind. You remember the ending even when you're reading the beginning. And so you can fill in the blanks as you go along. That's what I think what happens when we read this verse. The women see a young man sitting on one side. And we say, oh, of course, that's the angel. But the point of calling him a young man is that that's how the women see him. There's an angel sitting in front of them, and they're like, oh, didn't expect to see a nice young man here. His white outfit is awfully sparkly. They're being confronted again with evidence of Jesus' resurrection, and they don't understand it. In fact, the only other time 
that Mark describes someone's clothing like this is when Jesus shone in all of his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. If you're in a dark cave and you see that someone's clothes are shining bright white, there's probably something supernatural going on. But Jesus's followers still don't seem to put two and two together. We want to tell them to celebrate. Mark just tells us they were alarmed. Now, as the young man speaks, we're struck by how patient he is in describing what's happened. In verse 6, he, he, he says what are now perhaps the most famous words of Easter. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Now, before we accuse him of mansplaining, we need to remind ourselves that this is a divinely commissioned angel with an authoritative message. He declares that Jesus is physically risen from the dead. He shows him the place of his burial and confirms that there is no body. And we keep wanting to hear shouts of joy and thanksgiving. Praise God, he did what he said he would. But the women's silence is deafening. And it begins to dawn, us, dawn on us that that's the point. Jesus' followers didn't understand the evidence of Jesus' resurrection. They didn't get it. Not only did they not believe Jesus when he told them that he would rise from the dead, but afterwards, when confronted with that evidence, they struggled to make sense of it. Mark's Easter sermon has gone from bad to worse. What kind of message is this? As we're still asking ourselves that question, we hear the rest of the angel's message. In verse 7, he says, But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. The message, pretty simple. Go and tell. But what a privilege to be entrusted with this message. In the first century, women's testimony wasn't even accepted in a court of law. But the women have been charged to announce a supernatural movement in history. My, my mind goes to the movie 1917. Young, inexperienced soldiers are given an important message to deliver, and the obstacles seem insurmountable. But the privilege of the task makes them rise to the challenge. We anticipate the same from Jesus' followers. We almost expect to see them blushing with honor and gratefulness as they run to tell the disciples the exciting news. But then we read verse 8. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Wait, what? They ran away scared? They didn't tell anyone what they'd seen? After showing us that Jesus' followers didn't believe the promises of Jesus' resurrection, didn't understand the evidence of Jesus' resurrection, is the final point of Mark's Easter sermon really that Jesus' followers didn't share the message of Jesus' resurrection? I think we have to conclude that it was. And you could see why a scribe may have been convinced he was missing something. You can see why he may have felt the urge to fill in the blanks and end on a happier note. But just as Jack had to die, 
Mark had to end his gospel on this note for a reason. Some of you may object. You're thinking, but the women did tell the disciples the message. They did finally grasp the evidence for the resurrection. They did eventually believe that what Jesus had said had actually come true. And all of those things are right. But at first, none of those things were true. What Mark has done with this ending has made us sit. Sit at this uncomfortable point in time where the Christian movement almost died. He wants us to imagine what life would have been like if this was not just the ending of his gospel, but in fact, the ending of the story of Christianity. We're supposed to get to verse 8 and cry out, it can't end that way. That would be tragic. And although we know that the Easter story doesn't end that way, Mark wants us to see that your chapter or my chapter of the Easter story may very well do so. So we need to examine ourselves to see if we're not making the same mistakes as Jesus's earliest followers. Let's start with the promises. Do you believe the promises of Jesus's resurrection? Do you believe that salvation is found in him alone? Have you responded in repentance and faith? The tragic ending of Mark's gospel shows us that people can be devoted to Jesus and yet completely miss some of the most important things that he said. Some of you might like Jesus a lot, and maybe you love Easter too. You would have been one of the faithful that gathered at the tomb, but you may have still never believed what he said. What about the evidence? Maybe you still don't understand the evidence of Jesus' resurrection. Even now, you might still be holding on to some natural explanation for a supernatural event. Like the women in the tomb confronted by the angel, you might be thinking, his clothing is shining awfully brightly, but it's probably just a young man. Maybe you think Jesus' body was stolen. Maybe he just appeared to have died. Or maybe you think the Easter story is just a metaphor. The tragic ending of Mark's gospel shows us that even people very close to Jesus can miss the evidence and look for other explanations. Don't try to explain away the evidence for the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, 14, Paul said, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. A faith where Jesus' resurrection is explained away is an empty faith. The miracle of Easter is a historical reality, not mysticism or metaphor. Believe the evidence of the empty tomb. Jesus really has risen from the dead. Now, maybe you believe that with conviction. But where Mark's ending hit you was in verse 8. When you hear those words, and they said nothing to anyone, anyone, for they were afraid, you know that's your story. You haven't told your friends. You've kept it from your coworkers. Even those closest to you are in the dark about how important your faith really is to you. What's so ironic about Mark's gospel is that every time Jesus heals someone and asks them not to tell anyone, they go and blurt it out anyway. Now his followers have been commissioned to share a message, and they won't. You can't read this ending and not realize 
If I'm not willing to speak, it all ends with me. If I won't share the message, the people in my life who are dearest to me will never know. Imagine Jesus dying for their sins. Imagine God going to all those lengths to provide the evidence for them to believe, and you never bothered to tell them. Although, Mark's, although Mark wants us to feel the tragedy of what happens when we don't believe the Easter promises, don't understand the Easter evidence, and don't share the Easter message, we know that the Easter story didn't end there. In fact, Mark's readers knew that Easter story didn't end there as well. The fact that the message had reached them showed God's victory over human weakness. We know from Matthew's gospel that Jesus appeared to these three women, and in their case, seeing was believing. Matthew 28, 9 says, they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. That should be an encouragement to some of you. We sometimes get the wrong impression that people are just born convinced about Jesus. That's never the case. God slowly works in the hearts of people with doubts and resistance. It's a process. It, it's what makes the message of Easter so powerful. Nobody would make up a story that highlighted the failings of Jesus' followers so honestly. The message of Easter is that Jesus' followers initially struggled to come to terms with his resurrection. But eventually, the reality of it was something they couldn't deny. It was a truth they couldn't find another explanation for. They were dragged to faith by the facts and by a Savior who wouldn't give up on them. I experienced the very same thing. I didn't grow up hearing about the resurrection or the story of Easter. I ate chocolate bunnies and enjoyed Easter egg hunts, but I didn't know about the empty tomb or Jesus rising from the dead. When I met someone at university who did, my first response was to argue. Studying the account of the resurrection convinced me that I was dealing with the truth and moved me to respond. If Jesus was raised from the dead, his authority was proven and I needed to bow before him. It was only then that I learned that he was not only true, but good. I told you that I argued with the first person that I, I met who believed the Bible and followed its teachings. I think I did that for a couple of reasons. Part of me wanted to know whether it was true. I wanted to see whether Jesus would hold up to scrutiny. But there was another part of me that was hiding behind the arguments. I think I feared if it was true, he would probably condemn me. I feared the consequences of having ignored God and his reality all those years. I instead experienced God's grace. John 3.16, the Bible's most famous verse, says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Have you responded to that promise? Have you staked your life on it? If you haven't, I want to urge you to do that today. Let me give you three words to help you. The first word is sorry. Turning to Jesus means admitting that you've been on the wrong path. It means confessing your sin and turning from it. The next word is thank you. I know technically that's two words, but thank you is what we say when someone gives us a gift. Jesus' death on the cross is a gift that makes salvation possible for all who trust in him. Thank him for the gift that you receive freely through faith.
The final word is please. With this, we ask God to change us and teach us all that it means to follow him. What's so good about the good news is that Jesus doesn't just have the grace to forgive us. He has the grace to change us. So come to him today. And if you already are one of his followers, show that by the way that you share the message that he's entrusted to you. Put the fear behind you and let yourself be gripped by the privilege and grace that we have in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the incredible grace of Easter. The amazing, the amazing message that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, just as he said he would. That he lives today and so shows us that he has conquered death and that he provides eternal life for all who trust in him. Father, if there are any who have heard this message and feel you drawing them in their own hearts, bring them to faith, bring them to Jesus. May they follow and give themselves to you. And help all of us, Father, to take you at your word, to believe your promises, to receive and accept the evidence you've given, and to share your message with joy and boldness. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I hope this message has helped you to understand the message in this strange ending to Mark's gospel and how the resurrection is crucial to our faith today. If it stirred up questions or you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.